Thanks for joining us for the City Church podcast. More information on City Church is available at www.ourcitychurch.org. You know, uh, years ago, I had an opportunity to go to Germany with some friends uh, on a missions trip to do some missions work, work with some churches, and uh, really try to reach some unreached people in eastern Germany. And, uh, and I was really thinking to myself when I went there, like, wouldn't it be awesome to drive on the Autobahn? I mean, I thought that that would be cool, you know? And so I was hoping the whole time I was there, like, boy, I just hope I get a chance to drive on the Autobahn. Well, I didn't get a chance. Uh, the next time I had an opportunity to go there, for some reason, Germany just kept on becoming a part of my life as a young man. God just kept opening doors there to do some ministry. So the second time, no opportunity. I believe it was the third time I'm in Germany, and I'm just still thinking to myself, every, every time I go, I'm like, man, it would be so cool to, uh, to drive on the Autobahn. You know, if you don't know anything about the Autobahn, in m- large sections of the Autobahn, there's no speed limit. And so uh, finally, some friends that we had made while we were there, uh, they just, I didn't ask, they just came in, they said, "Uh, Justin, would you like to take the polo on the Autobahn? And so the polo is their Volkswagen, we don't have those here, but it's called a polo there. And I was like, as a matter of fact, I would. And so five of us got in this thing, it's kind of like a Volkswagen rabbit, you know, it's like a very small Volkswagen, you know. And uh, so five of us got in this thing, and I'm like, I am going to make this thing go as fast as as it can possibly go. And so I got out on the Autobahn and, uh, you know, I learned, like, did like the five second crash course in the laws of the road in Germany and, uh, and get out on the Autobahn, you know, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm up to 160 kilometers an hour, you know, just like, and the thing will not go any faster. I mean, like it's got five people in it. It's a tiny little thing. It's like, you know, like, and we're going as fast as I can. And I'm like, I'm sitting there. I'm like, I am awesome. I am on the Autobahn. I am driving very fast. I don't know what the, what the calculations are, but it says 160, and that's very cool. I feel like a race car driver. And then, boom, a guy rips past me, and I'm like, he is cooler than me, but I am still cool. You know, and I'm just like holding on you know, as fast as I can. And it was a pretty awesome experience. I mean, it was a cool experience, but a strange one at the same time. Because if you've been driving for a while, how many of you drive? Most of us, yeah. So if you've been driving for a while, you know that, like, you know, you constantly live through the lens of a, well, most of us constantly live through the lens of a speed limit, right? And so you live through the lens of, like, okay, all right, let's just be honest. All right, the speed limit's 55, so I can go 65. Uh, if I push it past 65, I might get pulled over, but I'll just go 70, right? So you have these calculations. How many of you do the calculations? Yes, you do. You're like, all right, so I can push it this far and this much, but you're still operating through the lens of the limit, right? You're saying, okay, there is a limit, but there's some flex. So, you know, I'll go over the limit a little bit, but it won't be a big deal. And so we constantly, and I want to tell you, when I pulled onto that Autobahn with the, with the, with the polo, it was the strangest feeling because it was like, the limit is no limit. The limit is whatever the car can do. There's no outside limit. And we live in this world where, you know, um, we're used to the constructs of limitations in our minds. I remember just recently, I was, uh, I was with my kids, and sometimes we like to just, like, go on YouTube and watch silly videos. I filter the videos for my kids, but sometimes we like to just do that. And so we, we came across this video uh, on Evil Knievel, and the next 45 minutes of our lives, which we will never get back, was totally devoted to Evil Knievel. 
and my sons are now pretty super big fans of Evil Knievel. And, you know, like we watched him jump, jump Snake, Snake River Canyon, we, which he didn't make, by the way. It's a cool video. But uh, we watched him do all these incredible stunts. I mean, and then it just kind of led to like, well, who else does stunts? And we were like on there just searching and watching all these crazy things. And my kids are just like, wow. And they're watching it and they're like, can he do that? And I'm like, I don't know. I guess we're going to see, you know. And then we watched that and, you know, the next thing. And, and, and just a person that is willing to redefine the limits is just appealing to us, isn't it? I mean, that's what we do, especially in America. We like this idea of redefining limitations. There's a guy right now. He's actually an Australian guy by the name of Felix Bugmargarder. Sorry, Felix. And uh, if you listen to the podcast. And um, he, uh, he's preparing right now to do a 120,000-foot jump. It will be the biggest skydive in the history of the human race. Uh, he'll break the sound barrier with his body. Uh, it's the first time anybody's ever done that. He hasn't done it yet, but he's preparing. He's been preparing for years and supposed to happen, I think, in July. Like, and it's a huge deal. I mean, he's sponsored, of course, by Red Bull and many others. And, uh, and you know, I just, I think about this, and, and, and I don't know if you and I realize, we're talking about faith today. This is the last uh, part, you know, last sermon on this particular topic for this series. And it just was on my heart to really talk about this idea of limitations and how you and I filter everything in our lives whether you realize it or not through limitations. You filter where you're going to go to school. You filter what type of job you're going to get. You filter what type of car you're going to drive. You t- filter what God could do in your life through a construct of mental barriers and limitations. You might have heard of this guy. Do you have that picture, Kate? Let's throw that picture up there. There he is. That's Roger Bannister. You may or may not know him, but on May 6, 1954, Roger Bannister did something that scientists said was physically impossible. For decades, mankind had been trying to run a mile under four minutes, and nobody could do it. And, you know, the crazy thing is that people tried, and people tried, and people tried, and people tried, and doctors actually came out and said, listen, it is physically impossible for anyone to run a mile under the four-minute mark. It just will not happen. The human body cannot do it. And then this guy, an Oxford student at 25 years old, ran it in three minutes and 59 seconds, broke the barrier. Broke that barrier. He did something that everybody said was impossible. Here's the interesting thing, though. The thing that kind of catches my attention about this story is that within a couple months, somebody else broke his record. And within a couple months after that, somebody else broke his record. And within a couple months after that, somebody else broke his record. And within just a year, year and a half, multiple people had run under four-minute miles. Isn't that intriguing? Because the reality is, wait a minute, did mankind just all of a sudden at the same time get, you know, faster? Or did something shift in the minds of the people that said, you know what, this is not impossible, I can do this, and that mental construct was removed, and then they were able to do something that otherwise was impossible. What I'm telling you today is that you've got these barriers, these mental constructs that you're aware or unaware of, and that if we could just pull those back a little bit, according to scripture, something crazy might just start happening in the city of New Haven. I'd be into that. Mark 9.23 is a passage. I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to tell you the story. It's a passage that has haunted me for years. I remember as a young man, as a young Christian in my faith, finding Mark 9.23 and being like, what? What? And if you don't know the story, it's a story about a a kid who is demon-possessed, and the disciples are trying to cast out this demon And Jesus shows up, and he had just come down from transfiguring before the other disciples, and he comes down, and he... uh, they, 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 there's a big crowd and all types of chaos. And he says, what's going on? And, and, and the people say, well, there's this kid. He's demon-possessed. He needs help. So Jesus walks over and starts talking to the dad. And, and Jesus says, what's going on? And he says, well, my son has been bound. He says, how long has he been like this? He says, he's been like this uh, since he was a young, young boy. And so then the father says something very interesting. He says, sir, if you can, 
Please help him, right? And Jesus looks at him, and I love this moment. The Braveheart music kicks in in the background. Jesus paints half his face blue, and he looks at him, and he says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Now, the thing that, makes, that bothers me about that statement is that some part of me wishes he said, all things are possible because I'm God. I'm Jesus, I'm God, all things are possible, let's get this done, right? But that's not what he said. He left the door far wider open than that. He left the door far, you know, a, a much greater expansion. He said, all things are possible, not because I'm God. All things are possible for one who believes. Well, I mean, that could be you, couldn't it? Couldn't it? It could be me, couldn't it? In other words, what I'm saying is that Jesus has flung the door open in the area of faith and said, listen, Faith is the Autobahn. There are no limits here. There are no limitations. There are no borders or boundaries. The only ones that there are are the ones that you've created for yourself. That is a very, very awkward feeling because you're like, well, no, I mean, that's not going to happen. Well, I mean, certainly that won't. Well, that's not even realistic. Well, So question, how do I grow my faith without limits? Is that something that's interesting to you? Good. Me too. I want to know how to grow my faith without limits because you know why? I want this to be a community of believers that has faith without limits, that believes God for ridiculous impossibilities, that stretches beyond what's normal and what's natural and steps into what's supernatural. And this applies to every area of your life, your physical health, your finance. It applies to your spiritual walk. It applies to your relationship with God. You say, well, God, you know, God's not going to speak to me, really? He's not? Because if you actually begin to open up that conduit of faith, remember we talked about the Suez Canal, that little tiny opening, that little conduit that immediately allows all the resources of heaven to flow into earth. If you would just allow that little conduit in your life to open up, all things are possible for one who believes. Interesting, he doesn't say all things are possible for one who are perfectly holy. He doesn't say all things are possible for one who's memorized half the Bible. He doesn't say all things are possible for someone who's American or someone who's six feet tall. Or He doesn't do any of that. He says all things are possible for the believer. Isn't that kind of cool? All right, so let's look at 2 Corinthians 1. I have been waiting. I'm not even exaggerating. I've been waiting for six months to preach this, this scripture. And so finally I get to today. So I'm pretty excited about it. Hopefully you're just thrilled about that too. But this scripture has been one that has just been running around in my mind for at least six months, and I just can't get over it. And so we're going to hang out on it for the majority of this talk this morning. If you want to take notes, it's going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. Let's read it together. It says this. Surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. Now you need a little context to understand what he's saying there. The Apostle Paul was trying to visit the church of Corinth and things got in the way and he wasn't able to. And so now the people of Corinth were saying, this guy's inconsistent. He's not faithful to his word. He doesn't do what he said he was going to do. And Apostle Paul comes back and says, no, 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 no. See, it, it's not that I was trying to deceive you. It's not that I was trying to be, you know, deceptive here. I had some situations come up. I had to shift my plans. But I'm not a yes and no type of guy. I'm not a guy that shifts my, my uh, you know, my words with the wind. I'm a guy that's consistent and faithful with my words. So this is what he's talking about. Surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. But now he shifts gears to talk about Jesus and the gospel. And he says, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus, bummer of a name, Timothy and I was not yes and no. If your name is Silvanus here, sorry, I'm not trying to hate on you or anything. Just wouldn't name my kid Silvanus. Venus. It's got the, vein, you know, anyways. So it's not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. 
That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Let's go back up to verse 20, the beginning of it. We're going to look at these different parts of this passage, okay? It says all the promises. Does anybody know a promise in the Bible? Did you know that this book is full of promises? I don't know if you knew that. The book is full of promises, by the way. It begins with a huge promise, a huge promise that God gives to Noah, that he's going to protect the human race. And then he gives the big promise, probably the greatest promise in scripture, is through the man Abraham. And then, the, you know, it's funny because I've studied the promise of Abraham. And you know what the promise of Abraham is? Abraham, I'm with you. I'm going to bless you. And you might think, well, that's kind of, I'm like, what about, you know, talk to me, God. Talk to me about hell. Talk to me about houses. Talk to me about, you know, something else. But that's, that, that's the fundamental piece of the promise is he's just saying, I'm with you and I'm going to bless you. Now, when you think about that, that's a crazy promise from God, isn't it? Like the promise of Abraham is I'm with you. God is with me. How different would your life be if you lived every nanosecond with the full assurance that he was with you? I'm with you and I'm going to bless you. That's what he says to Abraham. In Isaiah 53, he tells all the people of Israel and then all the nations of the earth, he says, I am going to rescue you. He says, I'm going to come and I'm going to rescue you. And he talks about salvation, this word sozo in the Greek. And it means to be healed. It means to be forgiven of all of your sins. And it means to be delivered from any oppression or demonic bondage. And then he gives us another promise where he says, I'm for you. And he talks about our children, our future. He talks about all different things, these amazing promises, right? So it says all the promises of God, and there's a lot of them, isn't there? All the promises of God do what? Find, this is verse 20, find their yes in him. They find their yes. In other words, think about this, guys. The promises have been kind of hunting around, looking for somebody to bless. The promises have been looking for somewhere that they can find the yes. Look at what it says in Chronicles. Many, many, many years before this, uh, God kind of outlines what I'm talking about here in 2 Chronicles 16. He says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to give strong support to those whose hearts are blameless towards him. Problem. The Bible says that there's none that are righteous, right? No, not one. So you're not righteous. I'm not righteous. There are none of us that are blameless. So the eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro to give strong support to those whose hearts are blameless. The problem is nobody has a blameless heart. And so God is looking all over creation for someone whose heart is blameless, and yet he can find no one to pour this blessing out on. Right? And so we, he can't find anyone who is blameless and he's hunting, he's searching, he's looking. And then finally, finally, Jesus comes. The perfect God, fully God, fully man, lives a blameless life, walks on the earth holy. And the Father says, finally, one that I can give all of my promises and blessing to because he's blameless. You still following this with me? Yes, okay, so they say, wow, it's amazing. Jesus is here, and so because Jesus is here, I can give him all my blessing because he's the blameless one. But then look what it says in verse 21. I'm sorry, the second half of verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Here's what he's saying. This is classic identification with Christ. Stay with me today. He's saying that Jesus Christ did not come just as your substitute, but as your representative. It's a very difficult thing for the human mind to grasp. We struggle with this. In fact, I find that I have to remind myself of this daily. 
Jesus did not just come as your substitute to cleanse you of sin. He came as your representative. Stay with me, okay? What this means is, it means that he represents you before God. And there's been a divine union between God and man through the person of Jesus. So that when he lived a blameless life, that blameless life is given to you. And when he died on the cross, a death he didn't deserve, that death was a substitute for your death, but you also died in your old life with him. When he was buried, you too were buried with him. And when he rose again, you too access his resurrection life when you receive jesus you pray a prayer right how many of us have prayed a prayer jesus come and fill my heart forgive me of my sin live inside me i trust you what are you doing right there you're making a supernatural union by faith between god and man the spirit of god listen to this the spirit of god is descending from heaven if you have saving faith coming to take residence in the human heart and your spirit and his spirit is being mingled together in an unbreakable bond for all eternity and now he is in you and you are in him. Well, then where's he? Well, let's find out. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. It says this in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read verse 4 to 7. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him. Stay with me today. Seated us with him in heavenly places. Some of you say, Justin, I've heard this. No, 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 you haven't because it hasn't translated into faith. So let me get to where we've got to go when it comes to faith. It says, raised us up with him in heavenly places so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness in us for, through Christ Jesus. What is he saying? He's saying this, you've been identified with Christ. And because of that, Jesus is residing in heavenly places at the place of authority before God the Father. And when God the Father views you, he views you in Christ, which means that all of the blessings that Christ is worthy of, you are now worthy of. That all the promises find their yes in him. And that's why all we've got to do, and we'll get this in a second, is utter the amen. See, Jeremiah is right there. Everybody say hi to Jeremiah. Jeremiah's right there. Now, Jeremiah, on the side, works for an organization called Premier. Premier runs the biggest concerts in Christian music, okay? These massive 8,000, 13,000 stadium concerts, and he helps run those concerts. And because he helps run those concerts, he has access to all types of different things. He talks to all the road managers, all the stage managers for all the biggest bands, all the coolest things, right? And so if I was to go down to Virginia or wherever his next concert is that he's going to run, so if I was going to go down with him, guess what? I would go with him and we would walk in and everybody would say, oh, hey, Jeremiah, hey, who are you? And you know what my response would be? It doesn't matter who I am, I'm with him, right? I don't, you don't care who I am, I'm with Jeremiah. They say, okay, come on in. And then we sit down and we eat some food. Guess who's going to eat the food? I'm going to eat the food. Why? Because I'm with Jeremiah, right? And then when he goes out on the stage and he shakes hands with casting crowns and da-da-da-da-da and whatever Christian band you find and says, hi, how are you? Guess who's going to be standing right next to him doing that as well? Now, the other day, one of the Christian artists called him up and said, hey, would you like to go to this free event? I've got seats for you right in the front. And Jeremiah called me up, right? And he said, hey, there's this event going on this weekend. Do you want to come with me to this event? It's tomorrow night. We can go front row or whatever it is because, uh, you know, this friend of mine who's a Christian artist has, has given me tickets. Well, guess what? That guy doesn't know me. He doesn't know me, right? Who does he know? He knows Jeremiah. 
And it's because I know Jeremiah that I now have access to all of these things. What I'm telling you, stay with me, is that in Christ Jesus, you've been given access, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. So his perfect work on the cross has completely removed my responsibility to be righteous before God and instead transmitted that responsibility unto Christ. Yes, that's amazing. So here's what it says in verse 20. It says this, for all the promises of God, all the promise, wait a minute, all the promises of God find their yes in him. And where is he? In you. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to the glory of God. What does amen mean? Amen literally means so let it be. In other words, what he's saying is it's not enough to know this mentally. You must align yourself with this practically. In other words, if you're going to have all the blessings of God flow through you by Christ, you must agree with it. You must say, so let it be. You must come into agreement with this reality. Romans 5.17 says this. I'm going to clarify this in a second if you're kind of squandering and wandering. Stay with me. But Romans 5.17 says it like this. He says, for because of one man's sin, that's Adam, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace... That's us who are going to receive this from who? Jesus. And the free gift of righteousness. That's the best statement in the entire Bible. The free gift of righteousness. Did did he say free gift? The free gift of righteousness. Do what? Reign in life through the one man, Christ Jesus. If you were here a few months ago, we talked about this word receive. And it's this active receiving. It's this word lambano, right? Kind of makes you want to dance when you say that word, don't you? Don't worry, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to dance. But this word lambano, it's... I don't know what it is about that word that just makes me want to dance. But this, this word lambano literally means to actively receive. In other words, what it means is it's like, you know, you're sitting at a table and someone says, hey, uh, what would you like to eat? And you say, you know, I'd like to have some chicken. I'd like to have some, some salad. And they say, okay, that's great. There's a buffet over there. Why don't you go get it? That's lambano. See, it's not passive receiving. It's not, go ahead and sit down and uh, they're going to bring you the food. No, no, no. If you want to receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, you must actively get up and take it. You must actively align yourself with his truth, with his reality. So the eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro the earth to find someone who's blameless. And guess what? Guess what? You and I can be the people that say, hey, whoa, hey, Jesus is in me. Jesus is alive inside of me. And because of that, I'm blameless before you. And because of that, all the blessings that would go to Jesus because he's blameless can go to me because I'm blameless in him. Would you, Lord, pour out your blessings on me in Christ? Here's the big idea. Here's the big idea. Biblical faith is based fully on the record and merit of Jesus rather than the record and merit of self. I said biblical faith is based fully on the record and merit of Jesus. In other words, you pray for someone. Pray for a miracle. And I can tell you honestly that this is what's happening in most of our minds. God, I know I smoked weed last week. I know I lied to my boss. I know I haven't been good. God, uh, would you do this for me anyways? Come on, just help me out. Just give me a little, you know, just be nice. Do me a favor. Friend, that is a completely blasphemous, backwards, confused prayer. And let me tell you something, as long as you're praying and thinking that way, you'll always be smoking weed on the weekends. You'll always be addicted. You'll always be bound. You'll always be frustrated. 
Because your freedom will never come through hard work. Hard work does not work when it comes to dealing with the sickness of the human soul. The only thing that can cure that sickness is grace. And the grace of Christ can wash away all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your sin, give you a new heart, and then empower you to live holy. And you say, well, Justin, aren't people supposed to be holy? I mean, absolutely. In fact, holiness is the byproduct of a regenerated soul. In other words, when I'm born again, I love God. And because I love God, I love holiness. And because he lives in me, he empowers me to then live the things I could never live in my own strength. You see how this works? It's almost counterintuitive. Biblical faith is fully based on the record and merit of Jesus. So when you pray, isn't it interesting that Jesus constantly went back to this idea where he says, pray in my name, pray in my name. Well, what's the deal with the name? When you pray in his name, you're praying in alignment with the fact that, hey God, this prayer is not based on how good Justin has been. This prayer is based on how good Jesus has been. And because Jesus has been perfect and blameless in all regards, I have full confidence that you will hear and answer this prayer. And because I have full confidence, that faith is the conduit to connect me to the perfection of Christ, to bring freedom, power, glory, anointing, and blessing and favor into reality. Wow, yes. Well, how often does this work? Well, let's read in verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus, the guy with the strange name, Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always, 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 always yes. Here's what I'm telling you guys. The heavens are not closed up above you. The heavens are not closed up above you. The thing where the, where the closing is is right here. That's where the closing is. That's where the door is shut. In between your own mind, the heavens are not closed above you. God has torn the veil. He ripped the veil. The moment he died, the veil between the Holy of Holies, which was the perfect blameless place of God, and the place where those who could be human would reside, was torn. It was ripped apart in the temple. There was complete access given to the believer to the very perfect and blameless and holy place. This is what uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he says this isn't up there, but when he says this, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that is open to us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. Your faith must be based on the record of Jesus and not the record of self. Let me illustrate this a few times, okay? Matthew 15, you've probably heard these stories before. Maybe you never made this connection. Matthew 15, there's a Canaanite woman. You can study on it in your own time. She was a non-Jewish uh, woman. She did not practice holy things. She was a pagan woman worshiping false gods. She comes to Jesus because her daughter is very ill and she needs deliverance, healing. And she comes to him and she says, Lord, would you do this miracle for me? And Jesus' response is alarming. Have you ever read it? He says, uh, I'm not going to give the children's bread to dogs. Like, ooh, Ouch. What happened to gentle Jesus? Like, that was kind of a rough comment. And what's her response? She says, Lord, even the dogs eat the scraps off the table. Her faith was based fully on the merit of Jesus and not at all on the merit of self. And what did he say? Woman, your faith is great. Two times in scripture, Jesus says that. Only two times, that's one of them. He says, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done to you. See, most of us would have said, who are you calling a dog? I go to church. I even read, read my Bible. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. God, I'm not a dog. 
I shaved. I'm not even that hairy. Like, you know, we would have all these reasons to say, no, no, not me. I'm not a dog. I'm worthy. I'm worthy. But that was not her response. Her response was fully confident that he would do it, basing all of her faith on the merit of Jesus. There's another example of this in uh, Luke chapter 7 when the centurion comes to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, his uh, servants come to Jesus and, and they say, uh, Lord, we have a centurion. He's been, he's been kind to your people, the Jews. Would you come and heal his servant, I believe it was. And, uh, and then a, a servant comes to Jesus and says, the centurion does not want you to go into his house because he says that he's not even worthy to have you in his house, but only say the word and his servant will be healed. For he's a man under authority and he understands authority. He knows that if you just say the word, it will be done. And again, Jesus marvels and says his faith is great. What was so great about his faith? What was so great about his faith is he was not tainted at all with self-effort or self-glory or self-striving. He completely based his prayer and his hope on the merit of Jesus. Are you seeing this this morning? The band can come up wherever the band is. Last passage of scripture, chapter 14 of John. John's gospel. Here's one of those verses. Here's one of those verses that uh, everybody's read and kind of just goes, yeah. John chapter 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. This is Jesus speaking. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. You don't have this up there, but I'm going to read 13 and 14 too. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let's go back up to verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you. Now, that was a Hebrew idiom. They said that often to emphasize something that was important. Truly, truly, or verily, verily. What he's doing is he's emphasizing this. He's saying, hey, listen, you really need to pay attention to this one. Get this. Listen to this. And the statement is that whoever believes in him will also do the works that he does. He was obviously speaking about supernatural things. He was saying, you're going to live holy, because that's what the work that Jesus did. He said, you're going to see miracles. He said, you're going to see the power of God. You're going to see things that are impossible with man. You'll see them because you believe. And he says, in fact, you're going to see greater things. Why? If he, if he elongated what he was saying, he would have said it like this. He would have said, you know what? You're going to see greater things because you're in me. And because you're in me, I'm going to the Father. And because I'm going to the Father, that means you're going to the Father. And that means when you pray, you pray in Christ. And when you pray in Christ, that means that the merit of Jesus is what's being attributed to your account. And so when you pray in Jesus' name, it's not just with the hope that Jesus listens to. It's I am praying as a representative of Christ with all of his merit, with all of his blameless direction towards God. Thank you, Lord. And that prayer is heard because of him, not because of me. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. How do you grow your faith without limits? We're going to sing a song in a second here. How do you grow your faith without limits, guys? Two things. 
Eat right and exercise. Eat right and exercise. So Jesus taught us what eating right looked like when, the, when Satan tempted him in the desert. He said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So I feed on the words of God. It's my substance. It's my strength. I eat the words of God. And here's what the word of God says. For all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And it is in him or through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. In other words, you don't have to earn your salvation. You don't have to earn your miracle. You don't have to earn God's favor in your life. What do you have to do? You have to believe in Christ. You have to believe in Christ. Now, this is not, this is what people have done with this. This truth has been abused because people think it's a genie in a bottle that they can rub. Friend, if Christ is not in you, then you don't get to access his promises. And he only comes to you as Lord. He doesn't come to you just as buddy. And so you must submit your life to the lordship of Christ as his servant, and he does dwell in your heart by faith. And then all of his promises are yes and amen on your behalf. That's eating right. We just did that, hopefully, if you're paying attention. But faith doesn't work unless you exercise, too. You've got to eat right and you've got to exercise, right? You've got to eat right and you've got to exercise. What's that mean?